0: of 2023 and as you think about things that you want to do in 2024 and the things that you want to sort of feed your head and your heart with and we want to encourage you to consider one of our trinity classes uh, they resume next sunday on january 7th at 9 a.m from 9 to 10 15 and we will have three classes offered for adults we'll have classes for teens and for our children's ministry uh, the promo you just saw is for our women's class, As for Me, in a prayerful look and study of the Psalms. I encourage you, uh, women and ladies, to consider that. Uh, we also will have a class that's going to continue on in our Doctrine of God study, looking at the work of Christ. And then we're going to have a practical class studying the Bible together uh, through the Gospel of Mark. And so those options for you as adults are there and available for you starting next week. i highly encourage you in that. Also, just to kind of give you a heads up for the coming few weeks uh, as we turn into a new year, we always like to begin the new year, that first Sunday, with a global outreach focus. And this coming week, or this Sunday, a week from today, on January 7th, we're going to be hearing from a good friend of mine named David Pinckney, Uh, Some of the men have heard David already as a part of one of our deeper nights, a a year and a half or so ago. Um, David is up in Concord. He actually planted a church in Concord 25 years ago and was supported by Trinity, and uh, he is a part of a group called Small Town Summits. Uh, I've been working with them also, and the Small Town Summits is a regional partner for our global outreach team, and they work at strengthening and encouraging and equipping pastors in small places in rural and otherwise New England uh, to have healthy gospel-centered churches and to collaborate together to start new churches in small places. And so it's a really intentional and um, helpful and engaging ministry, and so he's going to be here with us next week. Then on January 14th, we're going to hear from Tom Wendell again. He's going to preach from Psalms also and uh, encourage us at the beginning of the year. And then on January 21st, uh, our family and I will be out for a couple of weeks enjoying some downtime. On January 21st, we will kick off a series uh, through the book of Job. We're going to spend nine weeks in Job, uh, and it will lead us right into the Easter season. And um, so that's where we're headed. And I want to encourage you all with these things as we take seriously following the Lord in the new year. So thank you for being here today. Uh, we're glad that you are with us uh, this morning. And if you have a Bible, why don't you open up your Bible to the second to last book of the Bible, Jude. So if you're new to the Bible, you'll just want to turn toward the back of it. And if you see the last book of the Bible is Revelation, there's one little letter right before that, and that's Jude. It's just one chapter. So turn to Jude. Uh, just as a heads up to those in the back, the sound booth, I've got a lot of fuzz and buzz coming from behind me. So I don't know if you can hear it. I can All right. All right. Turning to Jude. As you're turning to Jude, I just stress yet again, tomorrow morning, you all, we all, we will wake up to 2024. The last day of 2023 falls on a Sunday. Uh, So it makes our time together a little unique. I don't, I, I, anytime the calendar flips, I find myself reflecting on the year that was and anticipating the things in the year ahead. Um, I, I think I'll always do that. There will always be reflection and resolving when it gets to this part of the calendar for me. Um, I, I find myself thinking deeply on these things. I, I review the, the good and the hard of the, the past year, and, and I look ahead and, and, and all the things that I want to do differently, areas in which I want to grow. I think it's pretty normal uh, and natural, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to do. I know sometimes it can be hard to reflect on the year that was because it may remind you of hurts and loss, failures. But there is some good in looking back. And I know that sometimes resolutions get a bad rap. They do. But that doesn't mean we can't make them. This morning, I want us to take some time to do some reflecting and resolving together by looking at the last words of a little letter here toward the end of the New Testament. We're going to look at Jude 24 and 25, the last two words. You see there it's a doxology maybe in the heading of your Bible. This morning we are, we're going to get a doxology and a hope. Let's hear the words that close out Jude's little letter. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Guys, we come to consider these words, what they call us to do and to think on, put our heads and our hearts on, see, see these words shape our very lives. God, I pray that you'd be with us in the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word. And the receiving of your word, that we would believe it and cling to it and live in light of it. How would you do this? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, here we have a doxology, and within that, we have a hope. And the doxology is telling us God is worthy, and the hope is then God is worth it because. God is worthy, living for him is worth it. We're going to take time to reflect on that and then resolve toward that, if you will. Let's reflect together on the fact that God is worthy and then resolve together to live as if God is worth it. That's our focus and our aim this morning. And so let's kick off with just looking at the fact that God is worthy. Let's look at this doxology. Now, Maybe you wonder, what in the world does that word mean? What is a doxology? Well, the word doxology comes from two Greek words, doxa and logos. Doxa means glory, and logos means speaking. So putting those together, it's speaking the worthiness of God's glory. Or another way to say it, it's an expression or declaration or statement of praise to God. It is an expression of worth, that God is worthy of all the praise. It's a declaration. God, you are worthy. And it's a statement that we make together and to one another and to others, saying God is worthy. And so it is It is to, to draw attention to the worthiness of God and to glory in that or to bring praise to it. It's the rightful response to the recognition of who God is. That's what doxology ultimately is. It's the logical response. It's the right response when you recognize the who of who God is. It's not our ideas of God that lead us to praise God. But it's our understanding of who God is and what he is like. And what he has done and is doing as revealed through his word to us that leads us to praise him. So we need to make sure we are understanding God correctly. (laughs) And so in order for there to be doxology, there needs to be theology. There needs to be the study of God leading the way. And as we know God through his word and our understanding, our growing understanding of him... We've, we come to realize that theology ought to lead to doxology. That the more we study and put our heads and hearts on who God is, what He is like, and what He has done, it is to lead us not into a place of judgmentalism toward other people, but actually that our lives would be more doxological. That the, we would live doxologically. I don't think that's a word. But we can make it up. Sounds good. That right thinking about God leads to a right worship of God. That's what Jude's letter is, is leading his people to, to see and, and come to the end here of his letter is that hey, knowing God truly and rightly is to to lead to a life that reflects it that says that God is worthy. So I want to ask a couple of questions more about this. What is doxology? But why is our next question? Why doxology? Jude is an interesting letter at the end of the New Testament. It's got some some crazy things that are hard to really understand what's being said in the middle. It begins very, very encouragingly, and it ends very encouragingly, and there's a big old bunch of confusion in the middle, (laughs) at least at first read and first glance. Just a few things about this letter. It's written by Jesus' brother, that is, the son of Joseph and Mary, his parents. And it's written to encourage believers to, to a number of things. Primarily, three primary things that this letter is about. One is to avoid false teaching, things that are not true of who God is and what his word reveals. Secondly, to live godly lives. And then thirdly, to do so by being centered on Jesus. A prominent concern for Jude was that false teachers, that is, those who were seeking to lead people astray from that which is true about Jesus, were infiltrating the hearts and minds of those that Jude was writing to. And this false teaching had a profoundly disastrous effect on the manner of living of those who embraced it. We see that early in the letter in Jude 3 and 4. It's weird to just say the verses. You're we're so, if you've been around the Bible or in church long enough, you say chapter one and verse three and four, and you just you don't do that with Jude. It feels odd to me. I don't know why I said all that. Anyway, Jude three and four says this: "Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary. So, this is very important. Found it necessary to write." appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all, uh, delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So here we find that believing rightly is very important because it's going to have a profound impact not only on our hearts but also in our lives. Not only does it lead us to want to praise God and make much of Him, but also it should have a profound impact on us the way we want to live. And here, bad teaching or false teaching about who God is and what He is like has led people to embrace living in a manner that rejects God. And so Jude writes this letter, Don't do that. Contend for the faith, which we often have heard it used to defend the faith, like apologetically Like, make your arguments that Christian faith is right and good and true and and, uh, against all these other ideologies and so forth. But interestingly, it's not just that, that what Jude is after. It's also our living matters. How we live matters. And that is actually the greatest contention for the faith. That our rescued lives that are being transformed a little bit by little bit is putting on display the worthiness of God. It is important that we believe rightly about God, that we know Him as He has made known to us in the Word, because it will show up in our lives, how we live them. And then the letter ends with a flurry of encouragement, capping with this great closing doxology. A great defense was made by Jude, and as he considers his own words and their purpose he can't help but end with doxology. His letter is, all of this is true of God. He is truly worthy, thereby making doxology the natural response to theology. So this morning I'm going to ask a number of questions of us. You might feel uncomfortable about it. I don't mean to be provoking in this way, but I do want us to be stirred to think seriously about this. So I want you to think carefully. When was the last time your heart pulsated with the joy of recognizing the worth of God? When was the last time your heart was bursting with joy because you just were captivated by how amazing God is? That's a hard hard question. It's not a hard question to ask. It's a hard question to answer. Hard question to answer. The follow-up question to that is, how have you set your mind and heart on the things of God? Again, we're reflecting and resolving this morning. As you reflect over the year that was, just use that time frame. How have you set your mind and heart on the things of God? Important questions, we'll keep them sort of right here. Next kind of question I want to ask is, what informs doxology? What informs it? And the answer is the character and worth of God. Note what we find in these closing verses, so we're going to try to ring them out as best as we can. First is, we find that God is able to keep you from stumbling. Look at the very beginning of uh, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... The word there for keep means to guard or to watch out for. God is guarding and watching out for your life, for your soul. Why is God worthy? Why is God worthy of all the praise? Why is God worthy of all the doxology? Because God is faithfully keeping and guarding and watching out for you. That word keep is found several times throughout the letter. In the very first verse, it starts off with this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God and the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Here we find that that God is doing the keeping. God is doing the keeping. God is the keeper of you. That your Your life is not riding on you outweighing the bad side of the ledger with a little bit more good. Your life is riding on the faithful keeping of God. God is keeping you. You may not feel all that kept at the moment. Maybe you feel strained and strayed. But underneath and above it and beyond it and all around it, God is keeping you, His people. Now, we find that word keep used in another way toward the end of the letter in verse 21. Speaking to the people of God, Jude says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And his call is to say, keep yourselves in God's keeping. Don't go clinging to other things that aren't going to be keeping you. Cling to that, to who is keeping you. We are to keep ourselves in God's keeping. We find here, now to him who is able to keep you. But what does he keep you? He keeps you to, but he also keeps you from. And the verse says, from stumbling. From stumbling. The Bible uses that to care to to carry with it, uh, sort of both a spiritual and moral aspect. A spiritual and moral aspect, uh, a belief in the heart and the manner in which we live. God keeps you from stumbling. The stumble means to fall, or, in a spiritual sense, to turn on what on God and what we believe, or in how we live. And so, when it says that God keeps you from stumbling, it's it's speaking of it in an ultimate sense. God keeps us from stumbling, ultimately, out of his keeping love. But it also serves as means for our not stumbling in our day-to-day living. He keeps us from stumbling, ultimately, but it is also the means by which we can fight against the temptations and that we face each day to stumble in the manner in which we think and feel in our hearts. And, and the manner in which we live with our lives. This is God, and He is committed to His people. And I stumble and bumble all over the place, and you do too. And God doesn't bail on that. He doesn't bail on us. I mean, just stop and think about that. As you reflect over the year, there are probably a lot of things that you regret. I don't mean to say that to make you feel heavy or hard, or sad, or sorrowful. But God didn't quit. He didn't say, oh, I am just so tired of Sean Carpenter. He keeps us. He's worthy of all the praise because he keeps us. Keeps us from stumbling. What else does he do? Let's ring this out some more. God presents you blameless before his presence with great joy. Look at what the rest of 24 says. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I, I love this. First, he says that God is committed to us. He will keep us from stumbling because he is eager to present us blameless. This is language that points to the very end, to our ultimate destination. That God is eager to present us blameless before him, before his sight, before his very presence, because he's committed to his people all the way to the very end. Through all of the ups and downs of our own wayward hearts and his own hard life that we live in this harsh world, God is committed to his people all the way to the very end. Why is he worthy of praise from his people? Because he is eagerly bringing about all of time and space and history to this point where he presents blameless his redeemed. And it's into the presence of his glory which is just another way of saying it's before God himself, because glory refers to the presence of God. And so God is eagerly at work in your life right now, keeping you because he has a time stamp in one day in which he's going to present you, yes, you, who may struggle with all kinds of things in your own heart and in your own life, who may feel the ups and downs and the pulls of unbelief, who may give over to sin and struggle in that fight, who may feel weary and worn down and isolated and exhausted, spiritually and physically and otherwise. God is committed to you. He's not going to let you go. He's going to see it all the way to the end because he's eager to present you blameless before his sight. And he does this with great joy. With great joy. So as you read that, you're thinking, who has the great joy here? The people that are being presented, who have experienced the keeping faithfulness and purpose of God or is it God with the great joy and the answer is yes thank you the answer is yes guess who has great joy in heaven with his people God does God has great joy to see you 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 ever think about that that God has great joy for you, over you. He can't wait to see you presented before Him blameless. Where all the slogging through this life is done, and we're in His presence, He has great joy. And guess what? We are too. We will too. We will too. We will have great joy in that moment. And we can experience tastes of, and the And expressions of that great joy in our life now. Because we know that God doesn't quit and doesn't lose. So if God is keeping and God will present his people blameless, he will not quit on that. And there won't be something that will make him lose to that purpose. And so as you look at the, the way that this verse is shaped here in verse 24. The keeping from stumbling says Something very important to us that tells us that God is worthy of all the praise. It says, God is able. To keep you from stumbling, that means God is able. And then the second phrase, to present you with joy before his own sight, it's that God is willing. It's not just that he's able to, but he wants to. He wants to, with great joy. Maybe that counters some things that we wrestle with in our hearts about our understanding of God. Sometimes we might think that God isn't able to do anything in our life, that we feel like the struggles that we're experiencing are far too much, and it doesn't seem like God either notices or is able to do anything or cares to do anything. And we can let that sort of sit in our hearts and germinate and spread, and it can draw our hearts away. And so we really need to counter it with the truth of what God's Word reveals. But I want to say, even if that is your experience, God has not bailed. He is keeping you to the very end and with great joy will present you to himself. Because he is able and because he is willing. Well, let's keep going. There's more. Verse 25 tells us some more things about God. God is the only God, our Savior. So the beginning of verse 25 says, To the only God, our Savior. Only. That is, there is none other. There is no one else worthy. There is no other Savior. There may be all kinds of competing little S saviors in your life right now. Wealth, or comfort, or acceptance, or career, or relationships. Whatever they might be. They're not going to actually bring to you something that is everlasting. They may be gained in this life and enjoyed, but they will be fleeting compared to eternity. There's only one who is our Savior. Stop and just simply let that settle into your heart. There is no other God. There is no one else. There is only one, and He is our Savior. Psalm 86 verse 10 says this, For you are great and do Wondrous things. You alone are God. Why is He worthy of doxology? Why is He worthy of all of our expressions and all of our statements and all of our declarations of praise? Because He alone is God. He alone is our Savior. He alone does great and wondrous things in saving and keeping and working in our lives. Next thing we find in Jude 25 is that God has provided the means for our doxology through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it just simply says it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christians give glory to God through Jesus. There's a story in the Old Testament about a man named Moses. Name, that pretty common name. And maybe even the story might be somewhat common. Con- Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And God said, well, you can't necessarily see that can't see that and live. It's too great. It will just incinerate you. It's a little bit of a paraphrase. God didn't say it will incinerate you, but it would. It would be too much for Moses. So God said, "Uh, but I am going to pass by, but I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put you in this little crevice here. When I pass by, you can kind of get a glimpse. But Jesus is now come. We've just celebrated that in Advent, and we anticipate his next Advent. And Jesus is like our cleft in the rock, but greater than that. As now we can actually give glory to God in His presence. Not just simply in this sort of like tail moment of Him passing by, but we can be in His presence because Jesus is the, the greater cleft in the rock that has allowed us to, to bridge the distance between a, a holy and awesome God and sinful people. How can we give Glory to God, we do that through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's important, that we look to Jesus as the one who is our Lord and Savior. That we don't look, <coughs> we don't look elsewhere. or we don't trust in ourselves, that we think, Okay, God, you did a little bit of this, and I need to do a little bit of this, and then that makes me right with you. And we see that Jesus is our only means. <coughs> Excuse me. And that means that when we look to Jesus, we see that the life that he lived and the death that he died and the resurrection he won are our means of salvation, are our means of being right with God, our means of bringing doxology into God's very presence. Because Jesus has removed the barriers between this glorious God and sinners such as us. He's removed them all, all obstacles, all barriers are gone because Christ took them all on and overcame every single one of them for all of his people. So if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, if you don't look to him for salvation, then then these words don't apply to you, but they do call to you. They compel you to look nowhere else but to, but to Jesus. This one we celebrate at Christmas and we celebrate at Easter. For doing what we could not do to give what we could not gain. (coughs) Excuse me. What do we find next? Well, God is worthy of glory and majesty, dominion, and authority. The next part of the verse. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. (coughs) These are culminations of expressions that capture the worthiness of God. That that God is great and that he is greatly above all and greatly able to exercise all of his great power. That no one else, nothing else has the position that God has or the ability that God has. That he is the greatest. And this greatness is forever. This greatness is forever. Jude, The last part of Jude says this. Before all time, and now, and forever. All of the worthiness of God is worthy of doxology forever. That forever can't extinguish doxology. Because doxology has an object, a focus, an aim that is forever. The object of doxology is simply that worthy. And so I say to you, keep this before your head and your heart and your very life. As we reflect on who God is and what he is like, and as we reflect on our life over this last year, I want to ask you more questions. In what ways have you nurtured your faith in knowing this God? What ways have you nurtured your faith in knowing this God? and as you look forward into the year ahead <coughs> excuse me ask yourselves in what ways will you nurture your faith in knowing this god and then <coughs> i'm losing my voice here so which probably means i need to be wrapping up soon <coughs> how can you help each other have a growing doxology Flowing from a growing theology. How can you help each other to grow in doxology? Well, helping each other come to know this God in increasing ways. That you would come together and and help each other see Oh, well, thank you, that God really is worthy. That God really is worthy. That you commit yourself to the year ahead to help each other say God really is worthy. And as soon as we start saying, God is really worthy, then the question becomes, is God worth it? And that's my hope for us, is that we would see that God really is indeed worth it. So I have another question. As we think about this hope that God is worth it, what is going to disciple you this year? What is going to disciple you this year? Let me clarify a word in there. Disciple. The noun of that word means follower. A disciple is a follower. And so in our context, we would say a disciple is a follower of Jesus. You trust Jesus for salvation and want to live life following after him. To use it in a verb form, um, it means what is your following source going to be? What is going to disciple you? A disciple intently follows the teacher, listening, learning, interacting, and applying. That's what a disciple is doing. It's, a disciple is listening and learning, interacting, It's engaged, and applying. Jude was concerned that believers were listening to things that weren't true. That is, listening in the sense that they were being shaped and discipled by these things leading to a failure in the manner in which they lived. They did not live as if God is worthy and worth it. And so I ask you, what are you listening to? And as you think about the year ahead, what are you going to listen to? What fills your head, your ears, your eyes? What is the content sinking down into your heart? 2024 will have all sorts of traps of things seeking to disciple you. To shape you and to mold you. Unfortunately, and this happens every four years, it will be a politically oversaturated year with all sorts of means for you to be discipled after some political party or some political platform or some candidate, as if the whole existence of time and space is riding on it. They're going to seek to disciple you. You are not going to be able to escape it. They're going to call you on your phones, Stephen. You're going to open up your computer and blah, it's all going to be right there. Or turn on your television, even though we all just watch streaming services. Anyway, if you turn it on, it's all going to be there. Or maybe 2024 is going to be filled with endless amusement of all sorts of things, streaming services and podcasts, and all of them are going to be seeking to disciple you. And no matter what it is or what it will be, ask yourself, are you giving headspace heart space to the Lord? Now I'm not saying so please I'm not saying shame on you if you look at anything with a screen. It's not what I'm saying here. But I am asking you to think thoughtfully and carefully about what kind of content you're consuming in your life. Just stack up the hours and hours and hours and, and evaluate yourself honestly with just what are you giving in terms of time and space in your head and your heart and your eyes and your ears, to knowing this Lord, knowing this God. If you say with me, He is worthy, then then He is worth it. He is worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it to take the time to know Him. And I want to make a promise. I don't make promises, but I will promise you this. You will not be wasting your time to know the Lord. You will not. Be wasting your time. And that thing that you're eager to watch. Or listen to. Has a pause button. It doesn't have to be press played just yet. Go and enjoy it. But make time. To know the Lord. I left off the last word of Jude. very last word until now. So verse 25 says to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. That is not a throwaway word. It's not something just because you, you probably say it a hundred times a month, right? At some meal or whatever, at the end of the day, and you just, you know, you, you cap your prayer by saying Amen. Are, you're accustomed to hearing the word Amen in the worship service. you ever wonder, what, what are you saying when you say Amen? What are you actually doing when you say Amen? Well, it's more like an enthusiastic shout, Yes! Yes! This! Yes! There are three things I want us to think about when we think about the word Amen. First is that it's an acknowledgement that this is true. When we say amen, when you put your lips to make, and your lungs and the vocal cords and all of that to say amen, you're saying, hopefully, this is true. You're also accepting that it is good. As you look at it and you think about it, and as you're praying and as you're reading scripture and it wraps up, it caps with the word amen, it's saying, this is true, acknowledge it. This is good, accept it. There's another dynamic to it. There's a willingness to live as if this is true and good. So when you say amen, you better mean it. At that lunch table in about an hour from now, mom and dad or one of you younger ones gets to pray and you all go to say amen, you better acknowledge that this is is true, this is good, and I'm really ready to enjoy this true and good thing that God has given to us. So will you amen this year ahead? that's what I'm going asking you I'm going to say, hey will you amen the year ahead will you will you acknowledge that God is true and that God is good and that it is worth it to live as if God is true and God is good? You will not waste your time to do so And so will you resolve with me to know the Lord more through Bible reading? through studying it, thinking deeply on it, talking about it with other believers? Will you? Will you join me in fighting sin that lingers and lurks in our heads and our hearts and our lives, knowing that God, fighting with this fact, God is the one able to keep us from stumbling? Will you join me in that effort? This year ahead? Will you... Resolved to make much of Jesus together, knowing that we need each other to better know and love and follow him. That when we gather together, like what we're doing right now in the weeks ahead, that we do so with this great joy and great hope and great anticipation that we get to be with other people who are going to encourage me and remind, help me remember and remind me that Jesus is greater and Jesus is worth this. Will you, will you commit to that in the year ahead? I'm going to make much of Jesus with my family. And then will you help others? Will you resolve to help others come to hear about the only God who saves? There are all kinds of noises that are going to be flooding people's hearts and ears and, and minds in this year ahead. And most of them are not going to be good news. But we have it. Can we be a different sound in the hearts and ears and minds of those around us? Would we commit to that? Would we live as if it's worth it to do so? Why can't then this year be spent growing in these ways when we have such a God who is worthy of all the doxology? God is worthy and he is worth it. Let us fix that into our heads and our hearts and our lives and see it transform us. Let us resolve together to be doxological people for the glory of God, for the good of each other, and for the salvation for those who are far from him now. But will join us next year in just seeing how worthy and worth it God is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. As we consider the end of this little letter, May it be um, a springboard for our lives into the year ahead. May we not be consumed or overly consume the things of this world that help us to see that you are worthy and worth it. Bring that encouragement to us because I know that life is hard. Um, the distractions are real and readily available. Discouragement can be pronounced. And so we need to, to see again freshly in your word and in worship and in fellowship that you indeed are worthy and you indeed are worth it. Help us, we pray, because we need you. And we take great comfort in knowing that you are the God who keeps us from stumbling and with great joy is eagerly anticipating the day in which you present us before your sight. In glory and and with joy forevermore. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.